What's up guys, my name is Jesse Lewis and welcome back to another episode of Geeking Out with Jesse Lewis and this week I am talking to my cousin Jordan Dye about what is the future biggest fantasy series of all time. It's already the biggest written fantasy series of all time but once it gets to the screen with a new Amazon Prime series I think everyone's going to be talking about it. Uh, we are talking about The Wheel of Time. Uh, my cousin Jordan Dye who has the biggest personal collection of fantasy novels I've ever seen in my life uh, actually told me years ago that this is the best fantasy series of all time and for some reason it rang in my head and then now I got a podcast where I talk to people about their favorite stuff so I really wanted to dive in deep with him about this so we talk about what is the craziest biggest world of fantasy that anyone's ever seen what he describes as better than Lord of the Rings better than Game of Thrones by about 5,000 times and just the best example of a, a brand new world since something like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars has come out. So yeah, it's a pretty fantastic episode. I really enjoyed talking to him about it. It made me pick up a book and start reading, which is crazy. Uh, but yeah, sorry I didn't do the normal fanfare for the intro. My girlfriend's asleep in the other room, so I gotta be a little bit quiet. Anyways, thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Jesse Lewis, and you're watching Geekin' Out. I'm here. You just saw future me talking about how great this interview is. My name is Jesse Lewis, and today I'm joined by my cousin Jordan Dye. Uh, you may know him from papers he's published, maybe. <laughs> no, only 170 people have looked at that paper so far, but well, <laughs> it's good to be here with well, you, Well, if Jess. you're one of those 170 people, you know him from there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so today we're talking about what... Uh, my girlfriend described as the most niche thing I've spoken about yet. Uh, oh. So I, I've never, I, I only know about this series as a result of interacting with, with you. Uh, and that was yeah. years ago. Yeah. So I really had to, this was the most research I put into any episode. Like I sat down for like three hours and had to study it. See, and I got to push back on your girlfriend a bit, because to quote Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec, you know, nerd culture has become the mainstream. So if you say it's niche, you're actually outside of the mainstream. <laughs> no, that's fair. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I Everything about Ben Wyatt in that show feels like the awkward half of my being. <laughs> he's my spirit animal. Yeah. Ben, ben Wyatt is yeah. my spirit animal. Yeah. You, you are very No, but most animal. people don't know... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most people don't know Wheel of Time, actually. Even a lot of fan like fantasy friends I have. So I'm not surprised when she was like, "Why are you talking about this?" Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I wanted to talk about this because the whole idea is that my mic was turned sideways. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, the whole idea is that I want people to talk about the passions they have and sometimes it's yeah. the little or known things that people get really excited about because they really feel as though they're bringing it to the world so that's what we're doing today so uh let's start with a brief overview of the series in your best words uh can you briefly describe the story so people have context going into it because it took me a long time to even comprehend what was going yeah, on yeah no and i'm gonna give some context to your question he, you're asking me to briefly describe 14 books that like the smallest one 700 pages um no what, what it, briefly and what it is the wheel time is uh, the story of like the standard fight of good versus evil 
uh, and it follows a pretty wide cast. I think one of the best things about it is that from the start, you're stuck with about four main characters, four or five, I would say, and then you get to follow them through an entire world over a couple years. And I'm not even doing it justice because it's so big and we're going to get into a lot of the little details that make this like such a comprehensive story. And I think by the end, people will be like, oh, okay, his first answer wasn't actually that bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, but what, but like what you're doing is you're following the reincarnation of uh, a character from a couple thousand years before. And it's the story of him actually accepting the madness within him is the easiest way I'd say it and trying to fight to save the world. That's, uh, I, I, I like the term fight the madness. Cause that's what I kept reading was like, he's the hero, but at the end of the day, will he bring darkness to the land and things like that? Right. Where it's, yeah. so I like that sort of duality. I, I, I wish that could have, that it could have been applied in star Wars, but you know, that's <laughs> it is well, it actually is. one of the coolest things about how they set up, uh, I guess the idea of this character, cause you know about what the character is going to become long before you re like, you don't find out the main character. I mean, everybody knows now that Rand becomes the dragon. We'll talk about him, but like, you don't know that for the first three quarters of the first book, it's kind of up in the air. And, but you know about the dragon, you know, this mytholo the mythological character. And from the beginning of the story, a couple thousand years before, they've always known that he will save them and destroy them. So there's this, like, it, it, it's a crazy amount of emotions wrapped up in a character where, like, the world's waiting for him. They need him and they know that, but they're, no one wants it to be in their lifetime. It's almost like, you know, preppers. Everybody wants to prep for the apocalypse, but no one really wants the apocalypse to be yeah. in their lifetime. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it, and and when I was trying to read up on Rand, I actually uh, it took me a long time to figure out who the dragon was. <laughs> like it yeah, took, yeah. like I was like really trying to understand, and I I read like four pages of full summary before his name even got brought up, and then at the end of the summary, they didn't tell me he was the dragon. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah. so I had to like go through character names and I was like, who's the most popular one? That's gotta be it. And it was, and I, was like, it, yeah. I did it. But, but well, that gets to the problem of like describing a giant world. Right. And like, uh, so Rand's not even my favorite character. Like, and that's, I think like, one of the greatest things about this is that I'm sure if you read the book, you would have a different favorite character than I do. Oh yeah. Well, everyone's different, especially when it's a world is, large as this and talking about scale uh it's a, a series spanning 14 volumes one prequel novel and two spin-off books <laughs> uh so and, you're, and that way he wanted more by the way yeah <laughs> and he, he wasn't finished yeah um, no so in your expert opinion what is the best course of action to uh to tackle this behemoth of a franchise would you start with the prequel novel the, uh like how what is yeah. the way I uh, actually talked to a friend about this last night because I was debating with him what would be better. Um, and he put forward the prequel as, you know, it's a standalone, gives you some flavor and the depth and everything, but I don't think it hooks enough. Like, it, it's a last sip of milkshake kind of book for me. I, I think of it, I, like, you read it at the end of the series, go back and get that more depth and one last, like, dip into the Robert Jordan world. Uh, it's, it's sad. I've got a lot of people hooked on this series, though, and I say to them all the time, you have to read the first book. But the first three quarters of the book are a slog. It is, he is setting up a world for 14 more books, right? And so it's hard to get through. And I always tell everybody that up front because I don't want them to, you know, have a false idea going into it that it's super breezy. But if you make it to that three quarter mark, 
you're at the peak of the roller coaster and everything else down is this crazy adrenaline rush to the last page when you get there and you're like wait 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 where's the where's the next book and that's something he always did at the end of his books is leave it on this like not a like he resolves something so you feel like oh there's no cliffhanger and then hits you with something unexpected and new as the cliffhanger so it's this like almost you feel so much emotion because you're like, yeah, I got my answer. Wait, there's a new question. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to wait another yeah. year, sometimes two for the answer. Jesus. Waiting in this series in me. I mean, I, so I started this in grade nine. I had a teacher. Uh, actually, she said she had read it. Um, it this came out in 1992. I may be wrong. On it. it was early 90s. Yeah, it was and 91 so she, or 92 for sure. Yeah, and she, uh, which is like when I was born, yeah. she's like, here's this book I read when I was in high school, you're going to love it. And then I actually convinced my librarian to bring in the rest of the series so that I could read it. That's awesome. Uh, I used to do yeah. that with comic books and things in my library. I'd be like, uh, I need the next one of this. And he'd be like, okay, give me a week. And it would show up. And I'd be like, yes. And in terms of size, I actually looked this up for this because I thought this was crazy. But uh, if you were to like put it all into a straight reading for the average reader at average pace, it would take 12 full 24-hour periods to read the series. <laughs> That's nonstop. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And I question that because, like, you know me. I've, yeah. I, I've not moved off a couch for days on end reading, like, like looking up, being like, what, 12 hours have gone by? And it's still, like, three, four days for me to go through one. So I question the math on that. Yeah, you're like, oh, man, that's too much. <laughs> that's yeah. too much. Yeah. Uh, so um, what would you say makes this series worth the amount of time that the reader's going to have to invest in it? Because when you're getting into a big world like this, obviously you need the world building to be fantastic. But what is it that makes the series, like, makes you, oh, you know, that feeling? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I have two answers. I have my flippant, you'll never need to read another fantasy series again. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I just do it, you're done after that. Uh, nothing else will compare. Um, but no, but really, it's the world, the writing, and the characters. They're complete in a way that I've never experienced. And, you know, I, I think a great example of this for me is character consistency. I, I, I mean, We've had discussions and debates for a long time about things like this, and it nothing bugs me more when you're watching something and they make a character do something that is so obviously there just for the plot like it had to happen we can all admit yep wouldn't nothing would have worked without it but that character never would have done it and like nothing ruins and breaks a narrative for me as much as that because you're it's now it's fake right you're not re i don't know real people do real things uh and so i think that that's what robert jordan hit on a level that i i've just never read or in anyone else and like at one point he did an interview where he was talking about the characters and he says at the beginning of each book he starts and he figures out where every major and sub character is in the world at that time even if he hasn't referenced them for two books because time still moved on he they still would have been doing stuff and they're still going forward and that's the level of detail and consistency that he brought to just telling the entire story so I read it for the most complete fantasy world and narrative you're ever going to get. Do you think you've like retained it all? Do you think that it's all? I've read the series five times and I've read individual. So like when I said that we, you'd have a different main character than I did, what I really meant is that like there are full book series of each character within the series. So 
Uh, actually, last summer, I was bored from the pandemic, stuck in my house. My favorite character, Matt, I started at the first book, and I only read his storyline throughout the entire book series. Because I, like, I, like, I've read it five times already, but well, it's still... context, it's like, okay, yeah, I know what that means. <laughs> yeah, but it was also crazy to see how well it just stood alone as this amazing story. All of, like, if you even... it's. A sub-story in an amazing world, obviously, you can get that when you're just reading it, but it's complete unto itself, and I think that just shows how, how well he did with each sub-character. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll, I, and we'll talk and touch on the characters a little bit more as we go, but um, just for context for the viewer, you have the largest personal collection of fantasy sci-fi bo- books that I've personally ever seen in my life. Uh, so when you say this is the greatest fantasy series of all time, it holds weight, you know? So what pushes this above the others, uh, uh, the other greats in your eyes? Like something like a Lord of the Rings or uh, not to you. Cause Lord knows you don't like the series, but game of Thrones to other people. <laughs> hey, Hey, game of Thrones was great until character inconsistencies, major freaking plot holes, and waving of a magic wand, inventing, inventing a freaking new form of resurrection because you wanted to kill Jon Snow, okay? Hey, hey, that's that's not here or there. You want to have me on and we'll discuss why I gave us something <laughs> bad. I'll give you two hours of an interview. But, uh, no, there's a quote from the New York Times, uh, and they used it on the cover of the, what is it, the Wheel of Time Companion. And it's, uh, Robert Jordan has come to dominate the world that Tolkien began to reveal. And I think that is just an amazing quote and kind of sums up why I think he, he is the best. And it's that most people know that, like, Tolkien did this amazing thing that had never been done where he said, I'm going to invent a world. And not just a world, but a world with this history and a mythology and gods and backstory and functionality. And Robert Jordan took that. To that idea to another level and not didn't just say I'm going to invent a world I'm gonna invent a world and then run its timeline out for a couple thousand years and give you it all yeah um, and to, to the point of being silly like <laughs> I, I, this is one great example so I was going through some Robert Jordan for years did uh, weekly interviews on his website with his fans so every week on and this is back on like the old AOL style yeah, like the old forums, yeah. typing it out <laughs> yeah yeah, and uh, he once was talking about how he did an entire backstory for a town that one of the, actually my favorite character, Matt, he stops in. Just a, stops in a little town. I think there's about four pages, I looked at it, that happen in this town in the book. And most of that's dialogue between the characters that they're in the town. He had developed an entire backstory back to the last great series of wars for this town and, like, what flowers grew around it, what was the agricultural products that, like, made this town. So, yeah, uh, that's the world he built. Where it's, like, it's an inconsequential fact that this town had a potato drought a hundred years back, and that's why it's a little slower, but... It's there. <laughs> yeah, well, but but also because so so much about this world was is about uh, cultures from the past that have like fallen apart. They've uh, you know crushed in war, or forgotten for some reason. But then how that culture's you know culture carries forward throughout time and gets diluted and and becomes something new. And I think that that's it, it's there's so much of that in the book that becomes super important. Like. Uh, the main characters all come from a land that was destroyed in the last great war with the dark, like the dark evil one. 
and they were their nation was abandoned by the other borderland nations and this comes up like a thousand years later when people are like wait why are all these like great people coming from this small farm village and they're like oh wait no they're the descendants of this like one of our most powerful nations all of them had like crazy willpower and stuff and so there's a lot of that throughout the entire series i like to hear that i like to hear that it's like oh yeah it's not just because you all had shared like dreams and willpower that, that that this happened. It's because of your ancestry. All of you from this village are a certain way. Like that's that's epic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like yeah. that. That's the kind of consistency that I think you you must be referring to. As you know, um, so Robert Jordan unfortunately passed away. You know, before he could see his full vision come to fruition yeah. and the last few books were written by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, and obviously Sanderson, yeah. jo uh, Jordan had the layout for the books. Uh, well, it was a book, one book originally, and then there was decisions to split it into two and then three books. Um, yeah. So, yeah. um, uh, Jordan had the layout finished, but would you say that Sanderson's writing properly emulated that of Jordan's to finish the story properly or from an outside view, can you tell that it was being written from a different perspective? So this is one of the thorniest questions in the like wheel of time kind of like subculture. So, I mean, you can put my uh, email address at the bottom of this for all the hate mail. I don't think you should take it. <clears throat> now I, I do want to caveat this with like a couple things, right? So Jordan didn't have a full outline uh, for, for the ending. He gave couple really important things that I think we should we should know about. One, he wrote the first scene, the opening scene for the, the Gathering Storm. So it's the one of the farmer beautiful. So you know you're going into the last three books in Robert Jordan's words. And he wrote the epilogue. So you know you're coming out of the book series. Final words you'll read were written by Robert Jordan. So I think that that was a really amazing thing to go in with. Because I think people need to know he was diagnosed with cancer. And he thought he had three years left to live. Uh, based on his doctor's estimate, and he died within a year of being diagnosed. But from the day he was diagnosed, he started working on getting ready for somebody else to finish this. And so uh, Sanderson had a lot of, not a lot, he had some very key scenes written out, and then there was like, this needs to happen, scrawled note, this needs to happen. And I, I, I want to make this distinction because those there's two types of notes. You know, Robert Jordan had those notes for him, which he used heavily, and the scenes are in there, and he, and he talks about it a lot in interviews that he used those. The notes that he got frustrated with and didn't use were the ones that I just fanboyed about and got so like, oh my gosh, can you please let me go and spend a year with these notes about this world? Because, I mean, his wife Harriet, uh, Jordan's wife Harriet, at one time estimated that altogether his world building notes are equal to the amount of pages that are published in his published books. That checks so, out. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, that's the detail. So I, I say this to get into it because I think that as Sanderson admitted in interviews openly that he's not great at juggling multiple characters. He actually feels that his writing was improved a lot by having to do this. And this is what Robert Jordan did in a way. Uh, so this leads to a problem in one of the books where Sanderson misplaced one of the characters. So he's in two places in the same time that it's happening. And that, yeah, yeah again, back <laughs> to consistency and how much I was raving about consistency. But then I also want to point out that Team Jordan and especially Robert Jordan's wife Harriet had a lot of like say in this, right? So Sanderson definitely has talked about like at one point she pointed out that like that there wasn't a creepy enough feeling in, in certain parts of it, so they wanted him to go a different direction or you know drop this because they didn't think that it needed to be in, and they really wanted to keep it to three books. 
All of that is to say that I truly believe Robert Jordan wouldn't have given us one final book. He would have ended up giving two. Yeah. So, it, because there would have been four. So Brandon Sanderson should have written four. Robert Jordan would have put it out in two, is how I think about this. Because yeah. Robert Jordan, had around book seven, stopped telling people how many books would be in the series. Because he had always said there'd be about eight books. And yeah. that was his, like, yeah, I can do this in eight. And by five, he was like, yeah nine ten <laughs> and then by eight he was like yeah so this book will be done when i write the last word that's that's yeah. that's how many books there'll be right <laughs> um and, and this is the problem is that there was a lot of things that weren't resolved in the series that that had been set up. And, and one of the greatest things that robert jordan did is foreshadowing so if you read this book there are three things that happen in the first book that seem so inconsequential you wouldn't even remember them Except there are three of the most important things that happen in the entire series. Because they link to something that happens in the second last book that is integral to saving the world. They link to a character who you're just like, yeah, okay, throwaway character. Comes back at three different times and literally changes the course of the entire war. And, and so like that's the level of foreshadowing. And if you're paying attention while you're reading, you're getting these hints and you're seeing like, where's it going to go? And I think that a lot of those were left out. And I don't know. I don't want to blame Sanderson. And that's why I'm kind of equivocating on this. No, I don't think he did as good a job. Oh, yes, you can tell that it's not Robert Jordan writing. Um, but he stepped up. He stepped up. And I think one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not so critical of him is he was a fan. He talked a lot about how, like, these were friends and he, like, loved reading the series. And uh, so he made his favorite character a little bit more important in the final three books than I would have. But uh, you gotta have respect, right, for a fan yeah. stepping up and like finishing something that we all want at the end. Right? Yeah, you know, like that. It's interesting. I listening to everything you were saying. I was trying. I it it would be like if when Marvel released their all their recent movies, and then we get to Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame, and Kevin Feige just was like, "Okay, I'm not in charge anymore. You guys figure out, get new script runners, get new directors." You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it just yeah. wouldn't feel. I wouldn't feel the same. So I definitely. I, or other franchises bringing one director in, going to a new one for the second one, going back to the other one for the third, and trying to retcon everything from the second. Some you know that. Sounds like it probably wouldn't work very well, and at the end of the day would piss <laughs> off a, a very huge chunk of said fan base, especially if it's a well-established property uh, spanning back to the 70s. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think brand managers have a little conception, though I don't, I don't know, why would somebody, I don't think somebody would do that. I don't think anyone would do that. <laughs> I, at least I really, really hope they wouldn't, especially to one of my favorite series like, growing up. I told you that was going down the second I saw the first one. I told you it was going down. You well, had hope. You were it like, was it's going to be good. I was like, it has every opportunity to be good. And then, it, like, Rogue One came out, and we were all like, okay, you know what? That's pretty That's pretty great um, right there, you know? And then... Yeah. I think Rogue One gets, like, lost in the conversation a lot. I know we're, we're off topic here. Yeah. It's just, it is the most... 70s Star Wars feeling thing they've done since the original trilogy, I and I think that that's not talked enough. About. I think second only to the Mandalorian, you know, or, or like which is also just like feels. Well, the Mandalorian like, continues that feeling yeah. of being it's a Western in space. Like, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Why why do we have to complicate Star Wars? I don't yeah, understand no, that. So we easy. have Star Trek for that, right? Like, and I don't like Star Trek. You know, a lot of people can like Star Trek, but if you're, you're everyone can love Star Wars. That's the appeal. It's it's a whole thing. 
<laughs> Anyways, uh, moving from one magic wizard to another magic wizard. Yeah. Um, let's start to break down the world a little bit, uh, starting with the magic system, which I read is yeah. incredible. So how does it work and why is it praised for its quality? Okay, so one of my main rules with fantasy is that you heard me you know, complain about uh, Game of Thrones for this, but is there should never be a point in a book where you or a show or whatever where you feel like they waved a magic wand to make the problem go away right magic in any world is a a reality it operates on this it should sorry magic should operate on logical principles right and when i say logical it's like sure yeah i make things turn invisible yeah that doesn't make sense but once you say how to do it it always has to be done in that way so i think the reason why the wheel of time and uh, Robert Jordan's magic system gets praised so much is because of its complete consistency. And again, just that like silly level of detail of rules he put in. So like, I'll give you an example in a second, but let's just like lay it out basically. So the, the magic at the top level is called the true source. This is the, the power. Now they call it the one power when you access it. So you're yeah. accessing the true source to use the one power. I'm just going to call it one power for the rest of this. I think it's really interesting. That's, that's what everyone else about. said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so one of the things that Robert Jordan did in this series, and this is the first time we'll talk about this, but it becomes really important when we talk with some of the characters is he didn't shy away from, uh, playing gender into it a lot. So in the magic system, the one power is broken into two halves, male and female. Now, one of the best things about this, though, is that neither side's better than the other side. And, like, they both have things that you could be like, yeah, like, men uh, can hold more power. So if you take, like, on average, your average male ch- channeler, that's what magic users are called, can hold more power than the average woman. Average woman, though, can weave more delicate, and that's what they call it when you're using it, weaving webs, because each each magic is conceived as a thread. Right, so you have water, you have air, you have spirit, you have fire, and you have earth. And in the same way that there's two halves of it, and they work in different ways, men are generally better at using fire and earth. Women are generally better at using air and water. Now, again, the great thing about this is he made each side equally powerful and put in real limitations on each side. Um, now, the great thing about why this is such a complex system is because you have those five base elements, right? And then those can be combined into thousands of different combinations to make anything you want happen. Literally, there is not a restriction on at the end of the day of what can be done with magic in this world. But I think that that right away he starts putting some crazy constraint, sorry, crazy constraints on the actual users. So uh, for women, it's actually easy to access it. It's described as opening a flower, like opening yourself up to this power and letting it flow into you. But it's super addictive for him to use it. Now, the problem with this is, is if you draw too much power in at one time or use it too often, you burn yourself out. You can either you know, like outright kill yourself or just cut yourself completely off from the power and have no access to it, which is often in the books described as like losing a half your body. You can pick which half, but yeah, well, because it's it's not it's more than just being like who you are. It's like it is a limb, is an extension it's, of you. It's part of you, yeah. It, it, yeah, it flows through you, sort of thing, and that thread, yeah. that thread, sort of visual, you know. 
Yeah. Okay. And uh, so that that's one restriction is you can burn yourself out. And for men, it's uh, much more like grappling with a raging river. They talk about so you never fully control it. You're just like directing it, and, and it's that constant tension of power. And so they have the same addiction, though the same want to draw it in and take more and more into themselves. Um, that's one restriction. The second one he puts on right away is you basically need formal training to survive. So, oh, I found this uh, one, no, yeah, four out of five women who, like, have the power come forward naturally that don't get a formal trainer die going mad. and That's called the spark, right? Yeah, so when they, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying not to be, like, too super technical no, on it, but okay. yeah, when they... <laughs> Well, looks like, yeah, I, I think tell, also, though, you can describe it. most ma- magic systems on a general level. This yeah. is just the best one, the one to rule them all. So let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you have the spark happens, uh, what happens is there will be an event that triggers it in your lifetime usually. So somebody like falling or something you needing to do something, uh, you'll use this uh, one power. And then within about 10 days, nothing will happen. And then about 10 days later, you'll start getting really ill. Now, from that point of getting ill, you have a limited time to find somebody to train you on how to use this, or in that like one out of five, figures out a way to mentally put a mental barrier on it, cut off, basically cut off most of their own access to power, and then survive that way. And they're called wilders, people who made it outside the tower. Sorry, the White Tower is the like the formal establishment of the Aes Sedai, the female uh, wielders of the One Power. Yeah, and they like run shit during the main. Oh no, time they run right? shit. Yeah, they run yeah, shit. yeah. <laughs> you want to see a female-dominated world? This is literally yeah. No, everywhere. I think there was one quote that like even people who hate the Aes Sedai know better than to show contempt in, in like person, and it's not just because they can use power. And that's the thing for, for a lot of the history of this world. They don't, it's not the direct use of power that gets them the the power. It's the the fact that, A, they live for a very long time. They're ageless. And they they use their influence to get into courts and be advisors and basically, like, pedal off the fact that they are the longest standing institution in this world that has known constant disruption. Jeez. <laughs> that's like a... Sorry, I'm exactly, just like, bam, no, here you it. go. I, that's, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. Because uh, I, I didn't ask a question specifically about the Aes Sedai. So now it's a pretty major aspect yeah. of the story from what I've read. So it's a good thing that we talked about it, you know? I'm into it. Oh, so. yeah. So I, I, and just to finish off this question, I guess. So we talked about how there are the five types of or weaves of the base yeah. magic so you have the one power gets split into two sides male female and then they both access these five weaves they're better at different ones and then spirit is about same among genders and then from that so the reason we call it like we call it weaving is because they're literally manipulating threads of these powers and that's and you and so they come out from them to connect to whatever they're trying to do so this actually leads to some like crazy scenes uh Okay, it's not a big spoiler, but there's a one point where Randolph or teleports into a battle. Like there is a, a an army that's been under siege for weeks. They were supposed to get there weeks before, but it just hadn't worked out, and they were just leaving them basically to die. And this is like right after he like has a big like you know come to the Lord moment, and he teleports himself there. And the the scene is described as like other with like I said I watching can't even make out and distinguish between the weaves because of how many are coming from him. He's just like a blazing thing of light. You cannot 
actually see in between all of them, and he's fighting an entire army by himself. Epic. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sick. Um, so, I, I mean, that's clearly one of the coolest uses of magic throughout the series, but what is your favorite use of magic throughout the series? You know, whether it be a little thing or a big thing, because when I was reading on it, you know, it seems like channelers have... But yet, like you said, basically the ability to do whatever they want. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's there's two eras. Uh, so I want to say what my favorite is in the current era, and then what my favorite is in general about the magic system because I think they're different, and it actually gets to what's so amazing about this magic system. So in the current era of the book series that everyone will read, it, it's definitely like the war magic. It is just just better. And so amazing. It's not like, you know, in a lot of fantasy, it's like, oh, my fireball spell. Or, ooh, my, I'm going to blow up some earth. Hey, yeah, man, have... don't knock the fireball spell. I read something that the fireball spell did something pretty mean to a, a, one of those main five characters, the appendages. Hey. <laughs> Maybe comparing this to Star Wars is not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> No, no, so he, uh, there's some fireball, but then Robert Jordan was like, yeah, I'll give you fireballs, but then I'm going to invent this thing called Balefire, which actually eats through the pattern of the known universe and erases things from history, creating cracks in the foundation of the pattern that could actually break it apart and destroy every world in known existence. So yeah, I mean, you can take your fireball, but I'll just like level you one up there. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so and then like some like crazy things I think are uh, in like the terms of like the war magic is like, uh, oh, the traveling. So there's these things called gates. So you can create a gate, creates a slash through the air, and uh, they want to them figure out that basically you can create ones that are horizontal instead of vertical and then they spin and pop in and out of existence cutting things in half so you just make one and send it out into the enemy army and it just rips through the army popping in and out of existence cutting and then like the funny thing about that is that like they go to different random places so across the continent there's just body parts that open up and fall out random places just a, yeah. just a just a lower body, so it's perfect. But of like horrifying, like half human, half animal monster creatures too. So not the best thing to find, no. like beside your farm building. No. My my favorite actual use of magic overall, though, is in co- combination with technology. So like most fantasy books, Robert Jordan has the, the you know the Age of Legends, this magical time when everything was great and good, but. Unlike a lot of fantasy books, he can explain why everything was great and good. And it's because his magic system can do most of anything. It takes away the need for food, and you can explain that. Uh, clothing can be manufactured. Like, they literally make a device that makes cloth, right? And so in that timeline, and you start to see it a bit in this one, but war is the main aspect driving it. But in that version, you get to see this magic used in innovation, and you get to see, like, technology and just, like, the most amazing things come from it. And one of the cool things that he, he talks about in it is the Kolam Dam. And it's a giant sphere that was floating above a university in one of the cities in the Age of Legends. So it's a thousand feet wide sphere by a thousand feet tall, floating a thousand feet in the air. Now, it's using the planet's magnetic field to float there. So the entire thing is actually made by non-Aes It's not using any magic to hold it up. But they only know about it because I said I had spent like 100 years researching magnetic fields using different weaves and stuff to figure it out and then converted that to a technology. So that's 
that's what I think is just amazing. And I think there's a, a metaphor there for technology in our current world and innovation in general. Like you get two paths. You can take it to this awesome destruction or you can make world changing things about it. And like they only built that, that thousand foot, the most impractical thing. They put a research lab a thousand feet in the air in a thousand foot ball, but they did it because it was beautiful and it could be done. So why not do it? That's that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like speechless after every time you speak because I'm just like tr I'm getting enthralled in the world and I'm not even reading it. Like you're doing a very good job of getting me into it and really picturing like this giant, crazy laboratory floating suspended in a giant ball with oh man. Oh, and the great you're thing is, the, like, up. I'm not telling you anything that impacts the story even, no, right? So that's, it's just like, here's this world. But that's what I love, too, is I'm I'm all for the world building. And I used to tell, yeah. I, I would, like, freak out about world building to all my friends. I'm like, oh, and it's just like, oh, it's such a perfect world, you know? And I have my own yeah. long-running series, same sort of deal. But it's like, this is, seems so interesting to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm so yeah. intrigued by it all. And I, I, I can't believe I've... You're gonna make me friggin' pick up a book, man. Like, <laughs> pick hey, up, pick hey! Up a book I mean, for reference, I tutored this guy at one time, That's so true. if I can get you doing a little more reading and work, I'm all for it. Tutor for life, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there are over eighteen thousand named characters in the series, so if there was a course, you might have to tutor <laughs> someone in that too. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but which characters should people pay attention uh, attention to? You know, uh, of all. all obviously the protagonists but who else in yeah sides? yeah so we'll go back to that like five i talked about at the beginning that you start with uh rand matt perrin niven and edwin now i'm maybe messing up how to pronounce some of the names throughout this entire thing but i think that's one of the greatest things about fantasy is i read them so that's how i'm gonna say it um one of the greatest things i want to say about this book series is how he treated female characters uh, i i think that it's like it's kind of sad that I have to say that because I read fantasy to read a world and the fact that a lot of fantasy has really bad female characters actually ends up breaking the world for me. So it's not even like a, a side benefit for Sob. I just want really good characters, right? And uh, the, the, the women in this series are as like amazingly strong and complex as the men. There's actually a test from uh, movies that they do is how many times are two female characters talking to each other not about a man? And uh, it's actually surprisingly low in movies. Horrible. Don't look it up. It'll make you sad. But uh, that's like the, the giant thing about this book is everybody is just a character. Yeah. So like not rooting anything. All five of those characters are not just main characters that you're following, but are world shattering, like literally drive the book. I mean, you have Rand on one end all the way to Edwin and they're both at the final battle and the world would fall without them. Right, and then like you have Niavine inventing things that haven't been seen since the Age of Legends because she's that's how like powerful she gets. And Matt's my favorite character. Uh, I, I think that like the the male characters have like the stereotypes really easy. And, but oh, okay, so sorry about that. I just trying to like collect my thoughts to figure out how the best way to explain this like stupidly complex thing is. So, anyways, everything about this book in all of the character development is accepting yourself. That is every single character's character arc. That is a main character, or a good character, I guess I would say. Like, the bad guys have, you know, their I want to rule the world character yeah. arcs. Uh, but it's accepting yourself in a thousand different ways. And that's actually, like, one of the reasons I love reading this book so, like, the series so much is 
I mean, like, I think in a lot of times in life we get into this, like, weird, like, oh, what am I doing or am I doing something for the people kind of things. And you get to see it from, as you said, like, 1,800, 18,000 different character views. Uh, so I would definitely do that. Moraine. Moraine is uh, their guide kind of character. She really drives it forward. The funny thing, though, is he tricks you. So, like I mentioned in the first book, there's a character I don't want to even say because I want you to read it, and you're going to be thinking the entire time which one of these is coming back. Like, 50 of them are. But they're, they're, he brings a throwaway character in, and you're just like, yeah, okay, don't even remember him, nothing. Three books later, they bring the character back and it's the most important thing ever and you're like wait i was supposed to remember every single character <laughs> and like and you do you start to because he starts to get you and it, it never disappoints though because it will come back it will it'll get in there so any character in the series that you feel a little pull to you can fall in love with because you know you're gonna see them again and you know they're gonna do something that is far bigger than their first introduction suggests yeah you know, this all reminds me so much of a little show. And I can show it off right here. Oh, dropped something. Dropped another something. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, this all reminds me of, like, another show that it's all about characters and moments and, like, a, a giant world that's constantly moving. And uh, it's kind of dusty, but that's One Piece. Uh, I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen this show, but... Uh, it's now, it just got chapter 1000 in the uh, manga. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. the same idea where it's like, okay, well, here's the first villain, you know? He's a throwaway villain that they're going to defeat. Oh, wait, in 300, uh, 300 chapters, that guy is super important. Oh, wait, that guy's a god. What, he's a warlord? What, he's in control of half the sea? What the fuck happened? And it's like, you just don't hear from him for a while, and then he comes back and he's like, ah, hello! <laughs> like, not the main villain by any stretch, just a guy. Yeah. I love uh, in the first book here, I'll give you this one. There's a riverboat captain who's a riverboat captain. Yeah, takes him down the river, you know, gives him a little folksy advice. He's literally the reason Rand gets captured by the worst people in the book five books later. He shows up at the end battle as the bodyguard for this Senchan woman who's trying to find her honor on an enemy side of the field. Super complex story, but he is there because he falls in love with this woman and is just like, I'll give up everything, my life, my culture, my background, to follow you to hell and back again. And ends up at the last battle standing there with like a billy club beating on things, defending his wife, who's defending actually Edwin, that main character. So, like, this is how intricate it gets. It is just not a riverboat captain in the first book. Yeah, don't pay attention. I love, I, I love, I love series like that. And it's, I, I'm just like, I'm now itching and like, at the chance to get one of my hands on one of these books, like in every way, like you have already sold me completely. And if anyone's still listening to this and doesn't want to explore a brand new world, especially right now, you know, I think you're all fucking missing out. (laughs) Especially in the pandemic. Yeah. You want to jump away to something just as complex, but it's actually stuff happening. Yeah. You can keep moving forward there, you know? Uh, so when I was doing research into the series, I found that the main protagonists of the series were kind of an afterthought to the world at large. Like, it took me w- way too long to research who actually was the main character and w- if they had an impact on the world. <laughs> like, I had no yeah. idea. So, um, does a character like Rand Alf- 
is it Randall Thor or Randall Thor? I guess it doesn't matter. We don't really know. Yeah, I say Randall Thor. Yeah, it looks better. It sounds better. But he's yeah. the chosen one. He's the dragon. <laughs> Does he stand yeah, yeah. out above the rest? You know, sort of thing. Like him yes and, and no. the main characters, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I mean, there's there's the definitive. He is the protagonist. I mean, at the beginning of each book, you get a prophecy. So uh, there's an actual power in the book called dreaming or foretelling, and you get to like see the future. And then they would often you know, write them down the cryptic prophecies. One of the coolest things I can tell you is every line and every prophecy you see comes true later in a, in, in a way. So, yeah, have, if you really want some fun, you can start digging into that. And this is why I've read it five times. Like when I said that earlier, I'm pretty sure people were like, wait, why would you do that? It's because I... Literally, there was a question, and I knew you wouldn't ask it, but, like, I'm a geek, and I was like, there's one thing I've never been able to figure out. What if he asks me, and I don't know? So I had to reread a bunch of these over the last five days and figure out what happened to one character, and I got my answer, but I was, like, that worried, because it's still, after five readings, I just not figured it out. You still just um, didn't get it. Well, I'm glad that me asking to interview you finally gave me the inspiration to figure it out and answer the question. <laughs> Hey, no one wants to be called out by their cousin no, you know, on a podcast. No. That's not good. <laughs> well, I, I, I went you through. you wouldn't let me forget it. No, I went through. And I never grammar check any of these fucking notes. And I went through and grammar checked it before I sent it to you. Because I was like, I'm going to get shred to pieces otherwise. Yeah, there's a few. But I haven't said anything. It's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it, um, if I had sent it to you in the condition it was prior, I would have gotten a lot more. <laughs> I would have gotten at least oh. a little pushback. Okay. Okay, yeah. that's fair. I'm glad though that I still have that uh, that aura. I guess. Oh, I well, you've no, uh, you've helped my girlfriend pass college because I I showed her the ultimate essay writing technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's only one way to write an essay. It works, yeah, and you yeah. will always get a great. Grade. That's right. <laughs> uh, um, but no, but back to Rand because I really do think like the reason the world broke in the first place. So I, I, this is a good point to talk about the two characters. There's Randall Thor. And then there's Louis Theron, Louis Theron Helmon the dragon. Um, he is the original, like from a couple thousand years ago, dragon, right? There's a thing in this series called Taverine. Um, that's not how you say it. That's just how my brain remembers it easy. But Taverine, they basically can influence the pattern. So the pattern is the grand thing that the creator put together at the beginning and it weaves out uh, like the web and creates, you know, history. Right. And when things start going wrong with it, the pattern can spit out these characters that can influence that web and try to pull it back into alignment. So at the very beginning of history, the creator like created the pattern, the weave, and then sealed off the dark one, the devil from the world. And was just like, nah, you're out of here. We don't need you in our world. Thank you very much. Uh, so then the Age of Legends comes and the Aes Sedai are like pissed off that their power is separated into the two halves. They're mad. They're like, oh, we're limited. We can't do things. They're literally inventing floating dams and, you know, endless amounts of food, but it's a limitation and they don't like that. So they find, and at this point they have the power that they can actually look at the pattern and they can use their, their, the one power to start to see the pattern that guides the entire multiverse. Cause there's actually a multiverse in this. And uh, they find us. Yeah, we haven't even got there. We'll drop in there in a second. There's a multiverse, multiple worlds. Don't worry. He didn't write us just one. He gave us a few. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So they, uh, they find this spot in the pattern where they're like, hey, there's some power over there. 
It's different than the one power. It's unified. It seems whole. We should go and dig a hole through the pattern of the universe to access this power. Yeah. So they punch a boar through the pattern, and it wasn't big enough for the like the dark one to get through. But he's like, "Yeah, here's my power. Start using it." Took him like five, ten years to realize that this had happened. And through these like ten years, meanwhile, like wars are popping up, diseases coming back for the first time. People who have like every so up until this time in the world, humanity had only had to deal with its own evil. There was no external evil pushing on it. And then you basically let the devil in. The devil's like, hey, you guys don't know what bad is. Let me show you. <laughs> By the time that people realize what had happened, it's too late. Because unfortunately, a lot of those Aes Sedai who had punched the hole in the boar were the first ones that the devil was like, hey, you want to live forever and have ultimate power and reshape the universe in your own ways? Play, <laughs> I can do that. And so like, you have the greatest Aes Sedai in the old language actually means um, uh, servant. So, like, the, the the entire culture in the Age of Legends was set up around service to your community. The only way to get honor was to do great things for your community and to push forward the world. Um, so, anyways, you get to... So, Louis Theron is the head of these Aes Sedai at the time. And the Dark... They go into this war. Giant-ass war. You start... Like, they basically are, like, looking through old books to read about war again. Because none of... They live in an era of peace. And then you have these, like, great Aes Sedai and all their power devoting it to, like, let's see how crazy we can get killing each other. And uh, so Louis Theron comes up with a plan at the end of it. Uh, I'll wrap this up. He comes up with a plan. He's like, we're going to seal this again. Let's take a bunch of uh, Aes Sedai. We'll go and we'll use the one power to kind of, like, plaster over this hole in a cosmic pattern that we made. The women were like, no, we don't want any part of this. You're being rash and this isn't going to work. So it actually ended up only being the men who went and did it. Well, they put their plaster on, and as they're doing it, the Dark One was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to reach back and taint your magic, and I'm going to, like, enter into it. So all of the men in this world, anyone who uses the male side of the One Power, starts going crazy. And this Louis Theron ends up killing his entire family, and that's why throughout the book, one of his other nicknames is Kinslayer, because he, he murdered his daughter, his everybody, and it breaks him. And that is why the Dark One did it, is because he was, like, again, servant of all, right? And he's the head of the family that's really big. And then he decides that he's going to kill himself by doing that thing I told you, like, you can draw too much power into yourself. Well, you now have the most powerful magic user in known history drawing in as much power as they can hold. It literally creates a new volcano and starts to reshape the world and starts the process called the breaking and then over the next couple hundred years, you have all these males who had all this power go crazy, and they literally end up reshaping the world. Like, the continents get destroyed and broken and rethrown together, because that's how bad things get. So to say, like, is, is Rand important? Yeah, because when he gets reincarnated, he has, like, the memories, the madness, the power, and skills of that guy. Yeah, that's fair. I... I... <laughs> It's crazy that that is, like, the backstory to the main character. And there's, like, still another 1,799-plus characters oh, to yeah. go. Oh, yeah. I didn't know? talk about anybody else. <laughs> Which is okay, you know? Um, but, yeah, so we're looking at that huge list. But who are some of your favorite characters that aren't not necessarily not important to the story, but aren't, yeah. like, the main focus. So, yeah, so that aren't going to drive it forward in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
Sen, oh, Sinwe Sanche. So, like, I'm again, I'm saying her name wrong. She's the head of the uh, White Tower when you meet her. I think that uh, she's one of the best characters to watch because she actually gets broken down so much. I'm, I'm going to get a little spoiler alert for people, but it's, it's not that big. Uh, so she starts out as the leader of the White Tower, literally gets deposed at one time, taken away. They cut her off from the true source, so she has her body cut in half. And she still finds a way to, like, have value in the world and to drive forward and to still contribute and ends up at, the, again, like, Anybody who's important, whether you're small, minor, or anything, they're in the last book at the last battle. The entirety of the last book is this battle that you've been building up to for 14 books. Does it, like, and live up to it? Is it as epic as it should be? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, uh, there's. I've read a lot of complaints online over the last few days as I was looking at this. I Yeah, of course, like I said, I thought Robert Jordan would have done one more book, you know? But, no, it, it is, it's a nonstop freaking book. It's one of the biggest books on my shelf, and it's a battle. The entire is a battle like i was asked the other day oh is it like you know does it have enough battles like will game of thrones compare and i didn't know what to say because like game of thrones is is a kid's show compared to the amount of battles in this book series you know like that was a big reason for me why like i was already frustrated by the character deaths in game of thrones because i was like yeah fuck who do i follow like, give me yeah. some insight. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Uh, so it, it's fun. It's funny to hear that, too, that literally you just there's not one aspect that you're like, oh, yeah, GOT, you got the win on that one. <laughs> you know? No, no, there isn't. I mean, a couple of the characters just like real rapid fire. Uh, Lan, he's Moraine's warder, like basically protector. He's crazy when you start like getting into how deep his backstory goes fall like last king of a fallen nation that's only around in memory and has the ability to call forth oaths like any is crazy he starts getting in but you don't know that he's just a bodyguard for half of it right min uh rand's one of rand's lovers is able to literally see people's fortunes hanging above their head and if she sees a fortune and knows what it means it always comes true so that becomes a crazy thing throughout the book series as people be as rulers realize that the literal lord of the world basically that's what rand becomes like every nation has to swear fealty to him to survive kind of thing and he has somebody beside him who can tell the instant truth about what's going to happen in people's lives that that has a lot of really cool things and then uh i'll throw out another random one berlaine uh, she's a queen of a tiny little nation it's literally this big at the very bottom edge of a map right next to a giant nation that's one of the most powerful and the entire nation's history is just about keeping that big nation from taking them over. So through the entire so. book, she is like throwing around weight and manipulating things and really just trying to like work every angle to her situation. And there's parts where you like hate her and you're like, oh God, just go away. But at, like they do, she does such a great job of reminding you by the end that it's like she's doing this because if she doesn't, her nation gets taken over. Yeah. And it's done. Her legacy, everything rides on every action she makes. Yeah, so, our, yeah. our entire culture is don't get taken over. So if I get <laughs> yeah. taken over, I'm the schmuck that lost. You know? Right. I'm not letting that <laughs> yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, That's really fun. I like that. And that sort of... Uh, that any little thing like that is just is going to play out eventually, you know? Yeah. Um, mm. So let's talk about some of your favorite themes for the series. I know you've talked on sort of uh, the gender um, a little bit yeah. on 
in this, but because uh, I, I know for me, when I think Star Wars, it comes to like legacy and pot and a lot of politics and <laughs> some aspects of it. And I've read some books that do Star Wars pol- uh, politics properly, so I'm like actually stoked on it as opposed to some of the movies that have tried and failed. Um, but what sort of elements come to mind when you when it comes to the Wheel of Time? Um, yeah, so I've already talked, like I said, basically the best gender balance you're going to see in fantasy. Uh, second, I would say on more general themes, like I said, acceptance. Acceptance of yourself is just, like, under everything. But politics, you want, game, again, the politics in this book series makes Game of Thrones look like, I, I don't know, it's monarchy versus democracy, right? Monarchy, sure, you can only make it so complex. And that's, and there's monarchies in Game of, uh, sorry, in Wheel of Time. I'm just using like those political systems as the analogy between the two books. Game of Thrones is a monarchy. You got one ruler at the end of the day, it goes down to his descendant, can't get too complex. Over here, you got Wheel of Time and like 13 main nations, each with different political backstories, each with their own way of doing things, each with their own internation relations, each with their own relations in amongst the country. So politics is giant. Um, prophecy is one of the biggest ones that plays throughout. And again, that ties into the foreshadowing that he does with all the characters and everything. And that's why it's so big. And then Friends is the final one. It's uh, It's got a lot of, like I call them Fox and the Hound moments. You know, when you, you choose friends over rationale, over what's good for you, over the best choice is to, you know, run away, but you love your friend and you're going to stand there and fight to the death. And yeah. There's a lot of that. That's, uh, I like, I like the, that, uh, Fox and the Houndisms. That's, that's, more <laughs> yeah. of, that's your homie right there. <laughs> um, so that's great. You know, and I, I, I love talking themes as much as the next guy, but. It's boring too. That's too nitty gritty. <laughs> that's too. That's boring yeah. nitty gritty. We need some exciting nitty gritty, right? So obviously, yep. we don't want to spoil the story for anyone who's interested in reading. But is there a major story beat that you can talk about to get people excited to sit down and start? Yeah, like something yeah. that's like not gonna ruin it, but like even if we're reading it, we'll be like, oh, that's this part. I'm excited to read it, sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. It's second book, so it's. Uh, I, I think it's great to always never. I don't want to give anything in the first book because people will be really fresh. So second book, it's called the Great Hunt, and at the end of the book, you have an ancient army that the world's forgot about, and we haven't even talked about. It. It's a new continent. Haven't brought it up. Didn't want to confuse you. Their army lands to try to retake the old continent, and they're the descendants. So like five hundred years before. There was a ruler, came to power, conquered everything, sent his son and a fleet to go and conquer other continents. His son landed. His son did. Created an empire, lasted for a couple hundred years, then decided, hey, we want to go back and see what daddy's empire is doing. They land and find out daddy's empire's fallen, and they think that it's their birthright to take it over. So at the end of that book, as you're getting this massive army coming in who, like, they call her and enslave Aes Sedai. They think that they have too much power, shouldn't be free. So you have a bunch of your favorite characters suddenly in some really bad situations. Uh, you have the first Dark Lord, so basically like the, one of the evil Aes Sedai from thousands of years ago, who went crazy during his entrapment with the Dark One, thinks he's the Dark One. You get him in the sky fighting Rand Thor. And this is the first time that Rand really has to step up and be like, oh, I guess I'm more than I think I am. Because one of the best things that Robert Jordan does is they don't go from he's a farm boy to he's the savior of the universe. Like the 
the level of doubt he has in his character, the amount of times he fails, all of those are on display. And I think that this scene is just a great one. And at the exact same time, you get the, there's this thing called the horn and uh, basically every hero this universe has ever produced gets attached to it. So your soul when you die and you have somebody calling that. So you've got giant army battle in the sky, ghost warriors riding down. Like, yeah, that's the end of the second book. That's epic. That's a great yeah. thing. And then, like I said, he introduces new questions right after he shows you all of that. So I actually haven't ruined the surprise of that ending yet. Love it. That's that's what yeah. I like to hear. You know, and, and and that's exactly what I want. I want people to be like, oh, crazy super battle. That sounds like the end of like one of the Lord of the Rings books, but it's only in book two of fourteen. <laughs> like, what the hell? Oh, that's awesome. That's epic. So another reason uh, that people really love the series is the setting of the books. And it's interesting because the world is modeled after our own, but it's completely different still. And I read a theory that it was like, yeah, this is potentially in our own future. That's where he said it, where it's like the way distant future is eventually how this happened. And it's like the time before the Age of Legends was our time, which is like crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, what is it? Uh, what is one of your favorite locations from the book, and why? What is it that that location like? Yeah, no, and so on that connection <laughs> of this world being ours, I, I think it's really it goes back to the breaking I was talking about. How like because of the power and what they were doing, they smashed everything apart. You could take our world and smash it into the continents that are here, and you'd be left over with a little bit. And actually, in the companion. He hinted that there might be a continent below the ice sheet, but we'll never know. Literally just says, and you'll never know. And I'm just like, oh, Robert Jordan, you're, you're telling me it's there, but it's okay. We'll never, we'll never know. You'll never um, know if it's there. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite, one of my favorite places is the Aiel Waste. It's in like the far right of it. You get there book five, I believe. And then a major, major focus of the rest of the book is this. And I, I love it because it's literally just a giant desert. And the Aiel as a people were taken there by the last of the Aes Sedai at the Age of uh, Legends because one of them was, could foretell and actually gave the prophecies of the dragon and realized that the, the Aiel would be needed thousands of years later and brought them into this like hellish desert as a forge. And the entire purpose of it was to take these people who had been servants and soft and create the world's best hardened warriors out of them. That's epic and i can visualize exactly like that's and then yeah (sighs) and then rand brings water to the desert and that's why i think it's even more amazing is that you at the end of it like he's the dragon he's one of them and he rewards everything he rewards that like that sacrifice that destruction by bringing water and life back to this desert so they actually at the end of it they have a capital that they've never had all tied up with a nice little bow. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. But then another question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Always, always. There's no bows that don't have something attached to them. Yeah, there's a tag, but it, there's a riddle on the tag. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Amazon has a Wheel of yeah. Times uh, television series coming at some point in 2021. There's no release date, but that's when it's slated for release. Uh, what have you, what are some of your do's and don'ts for adapting this behemoth of a series, you know, properly? Don't do it live action. Yeah? That would be my, yeah, yeah, I, uh, so I, I, we talked about this a little bit before the show and I'll send this, but they were, they did a, 
pilot in 2013, I believe, for another another group owned the rights to it. And it's 22 minute pilot, your standard, you know, pilot. It's the first 15 pages of the first book. It's the epilogue. That's all they could do in a pilot. And they did it perfectly. They brought the level of detail you needed from that epilogue that sets everything up. It, it had to be that way. So then my, I have a really hard time understanding. And you've heard me now, I think, for the last hour, rave about the complexity and the consistency and the foreshadowing. And I don't think that you can do that in live action. And, well, I, I think Amazon, like, they're going to go with the Game of Thrones route. So I'm, I have a lot of hopes. You know what I mean? But even doing TV, you're going to cut so much. And I just... I wonder what they're going to cut, is, is what I'm wearing. So uh, anything that has to do with those five characters I mentioned, Matt, Taryn, Rand, Naiveen, and Edwin, don't cut any scene that has to do with them. Uh, it would be my basis. Uh, like it, 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 Everything that has to do with that they're in, in the book, go in and then build off that and flesh out off what you need of that because you'll get enough of the main story. I think that that is actually the best way to go about it, uh, especially because I know for One Piece, it's not often that you depart the main cast. That's the whole thing is the world goes around as the main cast goes through it, right? So mm-hmm. you're always with them, but different characters will pop up at different points and to make it feel that way. Whereas this, I feel like this would be the perfect sort of show to have a spinoff for a character that does well with the, the major sort of audience. You focus yeah. on the five characters, you go through it and your 10, 12 seasons, however long you want to give it. You know what I mean? We don't do 22 yeah. minute episodes. We go to an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. we have, we no, and you really go an flush hour, it out. Like actual 60 minutes. None of yeah. the commercial. We know you're making it for Amazon. You don't have commercials. Yeah, it doesn't have to on. be 46 minutes long. Okay. Yeah. Give us the hour. Like we, we, we right? I was watching the boys and that would happen and it'd be like, it's fucking what the fuck it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the, all of those are good points and I, quite frankly, I don't see it going any shorter than like 15 seasons. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, you know what they, their cast, I've looked at them. They look kind of young that for my initial like thought of the characters, but then I thought about it in terms of that, like they're probably planning on running a long show to begin with. So you want to start with P characters who can age through that role. But I think it's only about four years, three or four years, the entire book series really? takes place through. Right. Yeah. So it, it's, hard to to condense that into how do you do that in 15 seasons with people aging that much that makes sense uh jesus four years (laughs) but and that's why i think you could do it as animated and and oh i'm blanking on the show netflix has a new one it's the it's the dragon one the the moon elves and everything uh have you seen it and the last dragon prince or something dragon prince dragon prince yes um I, I ended up watching that my nephew to start and then i just kept watching it because it's just like awesome fantasy but like I, I think that's a great example of doing something really detailed doing great depth on it and because you're working in an animated medium you can take that time and you can keep your characters so that's how i would actually love to see it yeah but i get that they're going for the game of thrones sort of something that's like uh the upcoming masters of the universe series you know where it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. Which is going to be sick, also. <laughs> um, so, obviously, we just talked about how it's so 
massive, but would you ever want there to be like a movie franchise of the series or would it just be too much to, uh, information for two and a half hours? Like, and I'm not talking like, uh, a five or six movie thing. I'm talking like a Marvel level franchise. Is that something that you would be interested in or would you rather stick to television? I think that they can do spinoff stuff. Stay away from doing movies in the main storyline. I think that the world's giant, if you've got the rights to it, um, maybe even step out of the direct books, right? So you have, I wouldn't do the Age of Legends. As Robert Jordan, he was asked once, will you ever write about the Age of Legends? And he was like, no, it was incredibly too boring until the point that it wasn't, and then it was incredibly depressing because yeah. it was a long, drawn-out apocalypse. So he's just like, don't write about that. But like you have, I told you about the the, the ancient king, Archer Hawkwing, who, you know, put the empire together. You have that. You have the Senchan, like that other continent, and the domination of that. And that's dark. Like, you could actually do a really good, like, thriller series almost, thriller fantasy series based on that. So I think that I would like to see those as movies. I wouldn't want to. I think, like, with Lord of the Rings, they boiled it down to it's a walking story, and we all saw how much they cut away to do that. But like, at least you can do it with the Lord of the Rings, right? Like, at the end of the day, this is a story about a short man getting a ring and taking it to a bad mountain. Yeah. We can we can build around that. I still don't even know how I would say, like, kids surf. Like, he's attacked by an evil shadow thing in the first book, and then all the way to the end he fights the devil. I don't know how to draw a straight line there. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a lot, and it seems it seems like uh, it seems like it's the same as this. When I was trying to be like, "Oh yeah, it's a show about pirates," you know what I mean? I can't tell yeah. you the plot of that show. It gets fucked. Like the, the, there's a main goal, but that main goal has nothing to do with what's going on all the time. You know? Yeah. yeah it's the yeah. same with that. Like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, his whole thing is like bring balance and don't go crazy. You know what I mean? But what yeah. does that mean exactly? <laughs> yeah, well, and then you get into the fact that the other main characters are so freaking important. Like, you cannot take out characters or he loses, right? Yeah. In, in a way that is more integral than a lot. Like, you know, Luke Scott, oh, you do Star Wars, right? You take Han Solo out of the movies, you can still get to the ending of the movie. Yeah. It's not as good. I mean, I'm just saying Chewbacca stays, right? But you, so you can take yeah. Han out, you still get to the end of the movies, right? Obviously. You can take Vader out, you still got Palpatine, right? Like, I think there's a totally screws and people would be like, you can't take Vader out, and I'm not saying you can. No, but like, but you could, end, it would, there'd still be a big bad guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or like, let's, let's do uh, Indiana Jones. You can take Indiana Jones out, and it still happens the same yeah. way. The Nazis <laughs> find it, the Nazis open it, and the Nazis die. Yeah, he, so, he just was there to see that all happen happen at the end of the day yeah. yeah yeah you can't do that with this series uh you take my favorite character out uh matt he's actually the general who's commanding this like combined all of the world's armies in one relaying it and he can only do that because he has the memory of every dead general for the last thousand years because of a messed up bargain he made that screwed him over but that's what he got out of it and that's the only reason that they win this final battle Damn, he really puts it down yeah. for for the for the nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, and, and literally his character is like he's this gambling, like doesn't want any responsibility. Leave me alone. Literally is like you guys are starting to become like important people. Screw you, I'm leaving. Runs away in the middle of a battle, but like ends up running through a part of the battle, 
kills a general, takes over some troops, and starts his own mercenary band as he's going through, and he's just like, uh, well, we're going to pretend that I have no responsibility, and that's he just keeps doing that for the yeah, next five we're, we're just going to keep going and nothing happened. Uh, I didn't yeah. write this question, but I just wanted to know, is scene is book six, that scene in book six as good as everyone kept saying it's, it is? The scene in book six? I, apparently there's like a scene in book six that just changes the whole series, and it's like craziness. Uh, I'm sorry for walking away for a second. I just, I don't know, the, I know the names of each book. I don't know the uh, which one is which off the top of my head, you know what I mean? Fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me half a second. One, That's two, okay, three, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lord of Chaos. Okay, yeah. So, Lord of Chaos is a... Uh, what's it called? It's amazing. It's the culmination of... It, it's the change point. Yes, it is as amazing as they say. And you know how I said there's the first three quarters of the first book? And you get to the three quarters and it's a roller coaster and everything else is just adrenaline rush straight down for the rest of the book? That's what book six is. That at that point you've ratcheted up to the first like peak and you're racing till about book ten and you go up a bit again and they're setting up for the last three. Uh, yeah. Lord of, and it's even better because the Lord of Chaos is it's literally from the prophecy, like let the Lord of Chaos reign and oh I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's just yeah. Yeah. Okay, amazing. cool. That I, I, I left that I, I left that question out of the one that I sent you because I wanted to see if you would react the way that everyone else seemed to online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a little bit little bit delayed there because I'm like, wait, what? What's, yeah, let me walk over to the book. Yeah, which book is it? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it was off camera too when I realized what book it was. Yeah, too. it's like someone who doesn't know the numbers for Star Wars episodes and they're like, Does do you think that the twist in episode five is as crazy? as everyone says it is and they're like episode yeah. five what's that one and you go empire strikes back and you go oh oh yeah yeah it's the best twist in movie history you know what i mean it like, also gets really hard with 14 books to be like what happened in which book and yeah. like there's this whole middle phase from like book five to book nine yeah book 10 is where everything ratchets up again and starts that rush down so from book five to nine where it's all kind of the same story and they're really moving forward again and so it, uh, there's a bit of like which one is which there fair yeah yeah and that yeah. happens from time to time uh pirate show i like sometimes it's like yeah there's the there, this has been four arcs you've been here for 200 episodes but <laughs> it's, it's like yeah. I, I have what? Oh, I guess we're not on the same island anymore. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what's the still watching question? Yeah. Was that two years ago? Yeah, I don't understand. Anyways, um, we've basically reached the end of the interview. I got one more question for you, but holy shit, have I had a lot of fun doing this so far. <laughs> Yeah, this yeah. has been awesome. Yeah, Thank you for I, letting indulging me. I feel bad sometimes. I've just been like, bam, and then end, and you're like absorbing still. Well, and that's I'm just like, that's oh, did I talk? No, too much? that's okay. That's me. That's me. The reason I take the second is I'm like, fuck, I gotta think about that for a second before I respond because I don't. It's there was so much to talk about and so much to in, apply, yeah. right? So yeah. Um, and as the last question, I think this is a, a great one to ask for the future of this series because I'm sure. 
with an Amazon yeah. series, if it's successful in the least, we're going to see a lot more of this. And so <laughs> they consider this the sneak peek for the future of fantasy for the world. Um, do you ever want to see someone expand the world more or are you pleased with the story as is? I, yeah, no, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I, it will never happen. Harriet Jordan, uh, Robert Jordan's wife, is very uh, protective of it, and understandably, right? Like, it's her husband's legacy, and he didn't want it written about in all these things, and I don't care. Yes, as long as they don't touch the, because, again, it's a world. He gave us a world that is bigger, and I honestly, I just don't, I don't know. I think it'll be a long time before another author is like, hi, I'm going to write a, you know, 17,000 pages of, of work, work, and then I'll write another 17,000 on top of that before I write those to build the world. So I would love to, like, um, Dragonlance is a more teen fantasy series where they have, like, a collection of authors who have worked on it at all different time points in the history of the Dragonlance universe, right? And I'd love to see something like that. Like, I, I would love to see the Arthur Hawkwin Wars. I'd love to see the Trollock Wars, like the first time the Dark One bred a couple I read about million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're talking like 300,000 strong armies of half-boar weird... Like, yeah. It, it would be amazing to read, and I, and I do. I do understand, though, why Harriet will never let it happen. And so, like, Amazon, there are companies who own the rights to do things like comic books, uh, movies, that kind of stuff, and I think we'll see a lot of that. Uh, from everything she said, we won't see uh, the books, any more books. Yeah, okay, well that's fair, you know, and I, at the end of the day it is his legacy, and some things are better left untouched. You know what I mean? Some things you don't necessarily need to see more of. But uh, I was going to say, aren't we all feeling what it's like when a franchise decides to be like, yeah, I'll give you more, and you're like, please, do, do, don't. Yeah, you're like, uh, do you have to? It's like, <laughs> and then they give you one. and Here, and I'm going to even swerve this on you. And then they give you one, and you're like, why did you include aliens in a movie set in the 40s about, a, about an explorer? Oh, 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 you're going to make another one? You're making a fifth one after this? You, you didn't beat that dead uh, horse no, enough no, with the you, fridge? <laughs> the nuclear why'd fridge? To, <laughs> why'd you have to bring that up? I mean, like, that's actually one of the worst examples. I don't, I don't, we're not mentioning it by name. Yeah, I've already mocked I'm not that. Going I've already to. mocked it once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, we God. should actually just do another show one day and talk about the destruction of our favorite franchises. It, ha it, it when, happened like, and we would like wrong. compare and be like, oh God, I can't. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, do you know, you know, I like dreaded talking to you after I saw The Last Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Was like, you know, I've written it out of my mind. I've rewatched it three times. And every time I think I haven't watched it, because my brain was just like, no. Yeah. No, you don't need that. No, you don't like this. Oh, man, dude. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always joke and say maybe the movie was perfect because I walked out of it fucking feeling like Kylo Ren. Divided. <laughs> I was like, uh oh, do I hate this? Do I like this? And then I was, I, the whole time I was like, I, I remember after the movie, me and my buddy are like, I don't even want to talk because I don't know how to feel. So then we yeah. go, I, I rewatched it, and then I remember just texting him going, it's bad. I rewatched it. It's bad. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. good. It was bad. Yeah. Oh, God. I. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. You know, my, my, my fundamental problem is they destroyed 
thousands of pages of information in my brain that really yeah. bugs me yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'll, and then it'll they pick the worst it. parts of the canon to bring back well so I like, mean, yeah, at least they brought back thrawn hmm? that's good at least they brought back thrawn and he's gonna be show up you know yeah but I, again you're bringing back thrawn in a really like weird context it's just already i i don't know i don't no, know I yeah. okay it's they're gonna weird. keep pulling out you know what? At this point, they should just do the Yuzhong Vong that ruined the book series and destroyed canon 20 years ago. Why don't we just do that? Hey, let's yeah. make it a movie. We're uh, <laughs> brain worms. Brain worms. Brain worms. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I remember me and uh, last week I did Star Wars and me and Lucas, when I got to that point, I was like, buddy, I, 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 I have to ask you, what did, what, what did you think about the worms? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I like there was a part or two that was good, but it was brainworms. The <laughs> idea of biotech, an entire race from outside of our universe that we had never known about that had completely different technology and hated us just on like the actual instinctual level. You know, it actually sounds like an amazing idea. So it's really, a, I think it's almost, you know, when people do bad with a bad idea, you're like, okay, you started with a bad idea and you gave us crap. I, I understand that. But when they take a bad idea or a good idea, sorry, and then they ruin it, it's, it's really yeah sad. you're like oh oh so now there's like five planets in this giant galaxy that aren't infested oh yeah. <laughs> that's sad yeah anyways uh that was fucking an awesome podcast i'm so happy you made it on do you have anywhere you want people to find you and you you, you want to pr- plug your paper Plug my paper. Uh, yeah, I guess you can find me on Twitter at, uh, oh gosh, uh, you can see how old I am, but I don't even know what I'm on Twitter. Yet. That's okay. Um, yeah, no, I'll give it to Jess, throw it in the links below. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter, see my sustainability paper on financial institutions and oil and gas, so even more nerdy than the show we just did. <laughs> but no, seriously, thanks for having me on, man. It has been great to do this, and I'm loving the show. Oh, thank you so much, man. And it's uh, it's been a pleasure just talking to you because like I, we haven't had a proper conversation in forever. And geeking out with you used to be one of my favorite things to do, and it's nice that we can still do it today. <laughs> now I'm trying to. Now yeah, trying to and I guess people don't know that you guys all up and abandoned, you know, Calgary, the most awesome place to live with us, and went back to Toronto. So yeah, that's that's why I never see you anymore. Hey man, I, I last time I was in Calgary, I came and saw you. Okay, that's a fact. Oh, you you make time. I'm just I'm just throwing <laughs> some shots. Y'all that's up fair. and left. Uh, how many how many times have I seen you in Toronto? <laughs> oh oh. Uh, it's Toronto, Jesse. Why would I go there? I'm pretty sure that people came there, invented it, and left. Isn't that how it goes oh man you're gonna get so many if you thought you were gonna get angry robert jordan fans (laughs) wait till you get the angry toronto people (laughs) okay like i said all the hate mail can come my way (laughs) yeah yeah. email at the bottom of the screen anyways uh thank you so much for coming on